Hello, everyone. Welcome to Afternoon Army. This is our second episode, and we are a new podcast, and we're spinning off from Afternoon Delight, which we hope is your favorite K-drama podcast. And the four of us became friends as we became either either hosts or fans of Afternoon of Delight, and then all became BTS fans at some point along the way. And uh, we had just have so much to talk about, and they give us so much to talk about that we have decided to create a spinoff show here. And so welcome. Uh, my name is Tanya, and I haven't been a BTS fan for all that long, but I feel like I have already earned a PhD in BTS studies, and I think a lot of us are feeling that way, because Chapter 2 is quite a ride. So for those of you older fans out there, uh, we look forward to hearing from you, too, about your experiences. But all of us are fairly new uh, and learning a lot. There's quite a learning curve. And uh, should we say who our biases are? And I'm J-Hope Bias with Jimin Bias Rucker. Yeah, I'm Allison, and I am Sugar Bias with RM Bias Wrecker. It was Tay for a very long time. And then RM's podcast about art completely changed the game for me. So yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Hi, everyone. So I'm Leah. And if you listen to Afternoon Delight, you probably uh, know me. But uh, yeah. I also really love BTS and talking about BTS. And so it seemed like a really good idea to, you know, jump into a podcast all about BTS and maybe like, you know, separate it a little bit from drama because there might be some folks that want to hear about, you know, one more than the other or, you know, just, just want more content on Korean entertainment. Because we can't shut up about BTS, yeah. any of us. So. <laughs> I can't. I can't shut up about BTS. So this is my problem. No. This is therapy for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then my biases are, um, so look, I started out as with a Namjoon bias or RM bias. But then when I saw um, BTS live for the first time in Los Angeles, I jumped ship and went straight to uh, sugar. <laughs> so I am a hard sugar bias now with a gin bias wrecker. You know, at some point we'll talk about gin and all the reasons why I think he's amazing. Hi, I'm Megan and I am what's considered pandemic army. Um, so I haven't been doing this very long, but um, I'm absolutely obsessed. Ask my children. My bias is Namjoon. And my record is Jimin, but also my bias is sugar. And then sometimes my bias is Tay and sometimes my, it just depends on the day. So it's hard to keep up, but I'm enjoying myself. And I love talking um, with you ladies because you're the only ones I understand. If I see a cute video um, of one of the boys, I can send it. And you guys think it's just as cute as I do. So thank you. <laughs> And everyone, if you're just listening to us for the first time, we may sound like we're overly rap line focused and we love them, but don't worry, we are all OT7 and we love all of them as our group chat with yes. evidence. <laughs> we are, we're just crazy about all seven members uh, equally, even though we have our, our favorites, just like many of you do. Well, we are starting this adventure just in time for BTS Chapter 2, <laughs> also known as What Hiatus, which is a promised to be and already is a combination of solo and group work. Uh, it has been quite a roller coaster ride for everyone, probably for the guys too. Uh, we've got new singles coming out, albums, we've got things dropping every day, projects. I mean, it is really, we were just talking about how tough it is to keep up with all of it. Uh, it's like having another part-time or sometimes 
sometimes even full-time job. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a lot. And being pandemic army, it's been a little surprise seeing them come back uh, full speed like this. And, I, and I'm having a little trouble keeping up, but it's also very exciting. And I think also we're not too wed maybe to the way that they were. And so I think even though we missed out on a lot, my mind also feels very, very open to what they're going to do next because I don't feel too attached to the previous model. So that, that part of it is good, I think. So that leads us into our first question of the day. So uh, how do you all feel about hiatus and how has the expectation of what that's going to be like, so-called hiatus, uh, how has that matched the reality of what it's been like for you so far? I'll start. Yeah, this is Allison. And I, I'm kind of surprised by how emotional the hiatus has been for me. Like you guys have mentioned, we're pandemic army. And so we didn't get a long time of them together. So like you were just saying, Tanya, it's like we didn't have this sort of set ingrained of what they were, the seven of them, but it has been really great to see them like taking on new projects and sort of letting their own unique voices be heard, um, things that they would not have been able to do like as a group. That's been really great. I love seeing them explore new sounds and aesthetics, but I miss them together terribly. Like sometimes I just want to see all seven of them in a room eating ramen together and talking and making plans for the future and like being silly. Um, so I think that it has been great and I'm really excited for what's to come and what has come so far, but I'm also sad. It's very bittersweet. And I think that the solo work, I mean, obviously we've just seen J-Hope so far, but it's beyond expectations. Like, we all know that they're incredibly talented, but to see that is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think going in, so this is Leah, and going into um, the Festa dinner where the hiatus was kind of surprised on us, I I just don't think I was prepared for it to happen. Yet as it was like, as they began to like discuss it, I wasn't surprised. I think it was just... Um, like I was shocked and not surprised. And I think it's because, you know, we all went to see their show in Vegas. Um, and the rest of you are, I think Tanya and Allison, you saw it twice in Vegas. Uh, Meg and I each saw it one night. And there I did feel like there was like something energetically different with RM. Like I felt like he was just kind of like soulfully, like he was seeking something. And they just, he was just in a place where it felt like he was processing many things. And it just kind of energetically hit me and like, okay, there's something going on. And so as it started to like open up with like Festa and he got very emotional, which obviously makes all of us emotional. Um, yeah, I would say I was surprised, but not shocked because I felt like that matched the energy that I had kind of tapped into in Las Vegas. Yet, I think we were on this juggernaut of like, oh, well, world tour is probably going to happen. Like you just start to like set expectation of like, this is how everything's going to be. And also I was like, all these expectations you're making, the record scratching. And then it was like hiatus. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we're just going to have this gap and that's okay. And I want them to have creative time to process. I just need to like not be quite as like needy and selfish and like take a minute. And then we just began to be hit with content after content after content even if it's individual content, but it was like the vlogs and the Charlie Puth collab. And then like seeing like the lead up to the J-Hope album. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this isn't like, I was expecting like this, like, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And then it was like, oh no, I just actually, like, my part-time job now is a full-time BTS fan job. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, how about you? 
Um, so I went back and listened to our first podcast after Las Vegas, and we all said like what we were hoping was going to happen for the comeback. And I said that um, I really wanted them to live their most authentic life. And I was like, this isn't what I meant, guys. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. But in a way, it is. Um, I remember. I was in bed because I was a weirdo and woke up early to see the Festa dinner live because that was my life or is my life. And um, I remember thinking, no, they're so sad. And I felt they were seeking closure, but like not really getting it. And so I was kind of worried. I remember going into the group chat that day. We were kind of all over the place like, no, it's going to be good or no, you know, we're sad or we're a little heartbroken. But again, going off what Allison had said earlier, you know, we're new at this. So we're still getting to know them as a group and we're still getting to know them as idols. And, you know, on the one hand, I feel like what hiatus every day, there's new content. I was joking earlier that like every day I wake up and it's like, do I want to open Instagram today? What earth shattering life changing thing did one of them post today? But at the same time, as we've moved past Festa dinner, they really have been living a more authentic life. And I feel like in some of their vlogs and some of their lives that they've done, they've been more honest about things. They have posted a little bit more honestly on their social media accounts. So, I mean, with the expectation being, you know, hiatus, we're not going to see them at all. That's not really what happened. And my expectation didn't match my reality because my expectation was, okay, well, they're going to take a break, which means I get to catch up on all the things that I missed. And I did not at all because there's just things being dropped every single day. And I've enjoyed it. I've had a great time. But at the, like, at the same time, I'm like, I'm scared for an actual comeback. And as we've already seen with J-Hope, I mean, it's the content is overwhelming. The excitement is overwhelming. I mean, I remember when we we recorded the podcast, like I think a full 24 hours before Sugar collabed with Sai. And I remember I say I like screen, took a screenshot of Leah's text or like DM. I DM'd her directly and I was like, this is what they released of Sugar in this video. And she was like, well, we're fucking fucked. And that I feel like that is a tagline for everything that's happened since because it's there's just so much. I mean, I saved it because I've never felt anything more on like a spiritual level than that DM because it was so true. But I do, if if anything, watching J-Hope and Lollapalooza has taught me anything, I need more rest. I need fluids. I need vitamins. Um, I need sage in my house. Like, I really do. Like, it's going to be a lot, guys. <laughs> it's really true. I have to say, you know, you guys, as you all have just heard, I'm J-Hope biased. And so this comeback... I was on vacation during most of it. And so this podcast is my How I Spent My Summer Vacation essay. I'll just like to put it that way because this is basically all I was able to do. <laughs> all right. So that moves us into our next topic, which is, which is to start to talk about J-Hope's solo 
basically, I mean, he has done solo work before, but you could call it a solo debut because this is kind of his first official uh, album release and where there was really an expectation of him uh, developing as a solo artist. And so uh, he has said that he started to work on his album as soon as the pandemic began. He dropped his album, Jack in the Box, on July 15th and had already announced his plan to perform it at Lollapalooza and was the first Korean solo artist to ever headline a major U.S. music festival. No small feat. Um, He really promised a darker album and he wanted to show us his shadows and he delivered. The album has a really strong narrative arc from start to finish as he discussed. It includes material about his origin story, which is very deeply tied in with the mythology of Pandora's box. Um, His intense, at times even self-destructive ambition and his struggle to express his individual voice within the idol industry that created him, which presumably is also part part of that box that he's been stuck in. Uh, He discusses big issues such as human equality and the basic goodness of human nature. So just a just a little album, just just a little trifle of an album, right? But just as in the story of Pandora's box, which opens the album, underlying all that darkness is hope. And so part of his identity as an artist is as a messenger of hope in the world while at the same time questioning his own sincerity and authenticity. So he has really um, set a very high goal for himself with this album, and by all accounts really, really came through on that promise. So the question is, is to share a thought on the album or the music videos uh, that have come about as the result of J-Hope's solo release. I just think that it was such a smart move to lead with J-Hope for the reasons that you were just talking about. They all have the duality and they all sort of play roles in the group, which is important, you know, to to sort of, you know, see people as we categorize people all the time. And I think that can help process things, um, but it can also become the box that J-Hope talks about. And with him, his, you know, classic, I'm your hope, you're my hope, I'm J-Hope, that like huge statement that he makes whenever he introduces himself. And I think that, you know, him coming out of Lollapalooza, introducing himself as J was just, it was perfect because it talks about like, you know, we're all these things and when there's darkness, there's hope. And I think that that's what Jack in the Box really like hit for me is like, this is going to be so fun to watch them explore all the pieces of who they are. And the decision to go with the dark, heavy sound completely changed the aesthetic was amazing. And the fans were ready for it. I just remember just the huge outpouring of love for what he was doing and being able to see those different sides of him was pretty fun. Yeah, echoing that. I had no idea what to expect, but I was hoping (laughs) uh, for something that would surprise me. I just didn't know how I wanted to be surprised. And when more came out, I think I was expecting it to be more straight rap. And so the fact that it kind of had this alternative rock hook to it and kind of almost took me back to like a 90s grunge vibe a little bit. It was just not a sound I was expecting. And I was so excited because it just felt like, oh, this really does feel different. And it feels like, I don't know, it just made me feel like they really are getting a chance and getting an opportunity to get out of that box and become something different and be like, this is who I am as me, not as part of BTS. And so I thought that that was 
it was fun and it really was a signal that this hiatus could be very emotionally healthy and just like a time of creativity overdrive which is so exciting as a fan I think sometimes artists will try to do like the extreme opposite just to like differentiate themselves from like past versions of the work. But I don't like see that with J-Hope and Jack in the Blocks at all. He's like, this is me and this is me. And I think that's what the Lollapalooza performance was so incredibly put together because he starts out with the dark stuff and then he ends with, you know, he had the white outfit on and he ends with all like the fun dance moves and all of that. And there was no... I'm trying to differentiate. I'm trying to put this huge gap between the BTS J-Hope. He's like, this is all of me. And it was just really cool to see how that played out in this album. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really cool air to uh, the Hope World mixtape. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, When I play the video, um, I got chills because... First of all, I'm a pop punk princess. I was in high school. Um, Pop punk was like my ride or die. (laughs) And I immediately, like my 17 year old self inside of me was like, you have to get to Lollapalooza. Like you, you have sell everything you have because you have to be there. But obviously I'm an adult and I can't do that. Um, But what I loved about it was that I played it for someone who is not a BTS fan at all, but is a pop punk fan. And I said, you have to, you have to guess who this is. I'm going to play you a song. You have to guess who this is. And they were like, I don't know who that is, but it's pretty amazing. And when I told them it was J-Hope, they were like, you're lying. And I was like, no, I'm not. It's pretty amazing. It's great. Right. And he was like, yeah, it's fantastic. So what I love about it and what I can't wait for other solo projects is the fact that they're solidifying themselves in music not as a boy band because you know the biggest pushback i get all the time is well you like bts they're just a boy band and i'm like no sir like you need to listen to all of it because it's all different genres of music at the same time and it's one band doing it right it's one group that's singing almost every genre you can think of and so that's what i really loved about j-hope and about jack in the box was that he really came out swinging um he has a very distinct sound and he's a great musician and this just proves it 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 all the work i mean i know that they said oh proof and we're gonna have proof and our album is proof but like their solo projects are gonna be where the real proof is and i keep saying um because he's charting on alternative charts right now like alternative rock charts i won't be surprised if he is nominated for a grammy and i really think that he has it in the bag to be honest, um, with as much as armies behind him, but also the sound. Um, it's like, uh, to me, it's something that is so fresh and new um, because it does sound like something you've heard before, but then again, it sounds like nothing you've ever heard before. So it's really exciting. And that's what I love about it. That's so true of his work in general. He just, he mixes genres up in fresh ways and creates new sounds. And yeah, he's just so just so unique. And can I just say, I want to offer thoughts and prayers to the rest of BTS coming after that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. Because I did hear that like right after RM heard uh, the album that he went into the studio and I was like, I mean, it's got to be so exciting. And of course they all have different strengths and different POVs and different ways they're going to handle solo projects. But it was such a cohesive from start to finish, like thematic journey that like, Yes. As a creative, I'm just like, wow, everyone else has to be a little daunted now. 
Yeah. I mean, he really took that concept from start to finish. You know, it wasn't just about the music. Every single thing from the promotions to what he was wearing, and we'll get to that later, like when he's actually on stage, it was not J-Hope. Like this was not your bubbly J-Hope who's playing a like whatever that thing was, a recorder out of the side of his nose. This was someone else. This really was Jay. Like I was um that is Jay. Jay. <laughs> like that that's a totally different person. But I think that I agree with Leah. Like I wonder what is going through all their minds. I mean the pressure has to be on and they're all great for all their reasons, but why did Jay Hope have to like just come out swinging like that like geez give everyone else a chance (laughs) (laughs) he had so much to get out and that's something that really came through in the concert i gotta say i am an old alt rocker i was at Lollapalooza the year j-hope was born (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's terrifying oh my god i was is he a 94 he's 94 yeah i was too yeah shoreline amphitheater i went in uh west virginia (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was in Chicago. Wow. That was back when it was in lots of locations in the United States. Wow. Oh yeah. So yeah. so I, I got to say how thrilled I was that he that that was part of the sound in this album. And I was so I'm just so into it, just like Megan. And I'm, I'm an old, uh, like post punk, punk pop person. And so this has just been so much fun to see him doing this. Um, and then all the other sounds that he's woven into. It's really impressive. And kind of uh, tying back into something else that you all were alluding to a moment ago about how he promised to show us this darker side and he did and how it could be kind of surprising for many fans because we're so used to associating him being Hobie, you know, the sunshine of BTS, people often call him. But that's, you know, and given that we are spinning off from a K-drama podcast, just a little tie in here. One of the things I love about Asian popular entertainment like K-dramas is that it is more possible, I think, in the storytelling there to get away from the binaries that we often have in Western entertainment. Like it's it's good versus evil a lot of times is, is one of the main stories in Western entertainment. And in Eastern entertainment, it's not always so clear. And good and evil and dark and light don't have to exist in a dichotomy. And so I kind of see that going on with his solo work too you know he's showing us his darker side but that doesn't mean he's not still um a bright and positive and hopeful person and of course that's one of the things he's talking about in the album that as one of you said earlier in the darkness there is still hope you know when when all those terrible things come out of pandora's box the hope is the thing that's left right so um so it's it's he's showing us the dark and the light now but the light's not gone and and as one of you said you know it was in his costumes it was in everything it was also carefully laid out for us yeah, I would really, add to really that as someone who I'm very known in my groups and you guys have been around me <laughs> once but I'm that person that's always like super outgoing super bubbly like you know, wants to be the life of the party, wants to be the funny guy, you know, making the jokes and all of that. And, you know, I really identify that with J-Hope as far as, you know, being that sunshine of the group. But that doesn't always mean that the sunshine of the group doesn't have their moments and doesn't have their time that they're dark. Um, And what I think is really important, especially with the quote unquote hiatus and him being able to do a solo project, he's now actually able to let that dark side out, which, you know, we don't know because we don't study the, you know, idol media or whatever as much. But, you know, I feel like with BTS, they all have their given personas. And I feel like J-Hope's was very much like, you're the sunshine of the group. I'm your hope. You know, you're my hope. I'm J-Hope, however it goes. Yeah. And I just feel like 
this was his chance to say, this is also me. We've said that, like he has this duality and that's great. But for me, really identifying with him and his work at, you know, this solo work is that I understand what it's like to always, people be like, what's wrong? You're not smiling. Why aren't you smiling? Are you mad? Are you sad? And sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm not, you know? So I think that that was probably some real freedom for him to be able to go down that rabbit hole for him or into that Pandora's box and kind of unpack a lot of that. So yeah, I think that, you know, him given the chance, he just did it so well. Um, and in a way that it is very healing. I and mean, when you listen to those songs, they're also very healing. So yeah, I'm, I love it. And Tanya, I think what I was wondering from you is, given that you're a Hobie bias, um, you know, how did it feel to be able to make the pilgrimage to Hobie Palooza? You know, this probably became like one of the most sought after tickets in Lollapalooza history and you were there. So I think it would be fun for us to hear a little bit more about that story. You know, I know part of it, but I want to hear the whole thing. And I know uh, folks who were there would love to like revisit that with you. And then for the most of us who didn't get to go would love to hear as well. Oh, it was it was really a pivotal experience. Um yeah, I, it, like most things with BTS, it was an absolute fire drill. Uh, you know, I just happened to open up Instagram to see what was going on because you have to do that like all the time now. And there had been an announcement like 12 minutes before I opened it that said J-Hope's going to be performing Sunday night at Lollapalooza. And at first I was like, no, this is a joke. <laughs> and then I looked it up and it was true. And I literally, I knew, because based on that experience of trying to get tickets for Las Vegas, I was like, I need to run, <laughs> not walk to my computer and buy whatever I can get because it's probably already gone. So I uh, raced downstairs to my computer and all the general admissions tickets had already sold. And it was, it had only been 12 or 15 minutes since mm -hmm. the announcement. Um, so I ended up getting a VIP ticket, which, you know, broke the bank a little bit, but it, it ended up, as I'll explain later, being a, a good experience um, just because I got more relief from the heat because of that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was just lucky to be able to get anything and to go. So it was worth, absolutely worth the money. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And, uh, and there's so many people, oh my gosh, think of all the millions of people that would want to go. And my heart goes out to people who couldn't be there. So I'm so glad that they televised it and then posted it for everyone too, so that everybody could see the amazing work that he did. So yeah, I was, gosh, it all happened so fast. I mean, I got that ticket and then, you know, we were so busy with the album coming out and everything. There was so much excitement. There was, there was just enough time to learn the songs and study the lyrics and learn the lyrics and get excited and make plans with some other fans to meet up and go together, which I did. Uh, and that was wonderful too. They were great uh, concert mates, just like you guys were in Las Vegas. Um, so I feel lucky to have made some new friends too. And Gosh, it was a huge crowd. It was a very hot and humid that day. We had a lot of fun the day before, I should mention, going to cup sleeve events and things like that too. So we got to meet a lot of ARMY, which is always one of the best things about going to any kind of live BTS related show. And what's cup sleeve, sorry? Yeah, cup sleeves are uh, a common kind of K-pop fan event. 
And so uh, if you've never been to one before, I encourage you to look because they're going on in, in different communities all the time, especially around groups. Anniversary dates is one of the big times to do it. So like Festa, June 13th for BTS. There are quite a few of these events and they're usually at bubble tea shops. And so uh, if you have a bubble tea shop in your community, you can check with them and see if there's anything going on. But basically vendors come and sell, you know, army creators come and sell keychains and photos and t-shirts and all kinds of things that they make, the kinds of things you might buy from Etsy, for example. And uh, and fans just get together and talk. And I, in fact, I went to one of these in my uh, town uh, back in June. And so uh, there were several of them going on around Chicago the day before Hobie's show. And so we went to some of those and that was really fun to get to meet up with other people. And then the day of the show, we went when the gates opened to get merchandise because we knew <laughs> the concert vendors didn't know, but we knew from being at BTS events that they were going to sell out in two seconds flat. So, so we did that. There were fans, of course, as you might imagine, who were there at the gates ready to run because they wanted barricade and they were going to sit out in the heat and humidity all day. I was too, I'm too old for that. Man, in my heart, my old alt rocker Lollapalooza 1994 self really wanted to do it so bad. And I know that that experience would have been so incredible, but I was just, my body couldn't do it. <laughs> and that was true for a lot of other people too that had been talking about whether to do it or not, just decided that it wasn't worth it for health reasons, even though it would have been amazing. But some lucky people did do it. Um, it must have been very hard on them. And there were people getting pulled out of the crowd for medical reasons. Um, so I just hope everybody's okay. But so I uh, went to see, if, and on Leah's recommendation, I went to see Audrey Nuna. So I shout out to, if, if you guys are exploring more artists who are Korean or Korean-American um, and just yes. Asian American in general, please check out Audrey Nuna because Leah recommended that to me and she had a set earlier in the afternoon and I went and it was phenomenal. And I listen to her album all the time now. I mean, she, man, she has an amazing voice. She's an amazing rapper and vocalist and oh, what a performer. So anyway, just quick little side shout out. Please check out Audrey Nuna. That's her stage name, but uh, it's spelled N-U-N-A. Yeah, she's really good. Then there were a couple really big acts before Hobie. So it, uh, the crowds were because ARMY was already there waiting and the other crowds were coming in to see Charlie XCX and the Kid Leroy. It was absolutely overwhelming. And I'm not afraid of crowds. And I got so overwhelmed that I had to retreat for a while because it was that that crazy. But then eventually it was time for his set. The sum of the crowd cleared out, but it was really, I mean, people showed up for this show. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no joke. You know, honestly, any BTS bias, but like Hobie biases, like, you know, we're there to support our man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Hobie biases are no joke, I feel like. And uh, so we kind of were on the side of the stage um, and you could see pretty well from the side, even if you weren't right in the middle. Um, so we were lucky. We And we did when some of the Kid Leroy fans were leaving, we did worm our way in a little bit. Um, boy, it was shoulder to shoulder. It was so hot and humid and we were packed in like little sardines, but <laughs> ARMY was so great. You know what I mean? I, there may have been pushing somewhere, but certainly not around us. Um, everybody was very respectful and kind and really enjoyed the show. And so it just made me love uh, the fans even more, you know, and really appreciate what a great fan base we have. So when the show, most of you uh, listening have probably watched all, all or some of the recording um, so I won't go into too much detail, but when he popped out of that box, 
<laughs> we lost it. I mean, I got to tell you, it was so exciting. It was already dark outside. We were screaming every time they turned on a new thing on the screen or a light went on or anything happened. We were screaming. Jimin went up the stairs. We lost it. And, and you could tell it was Jimin. You could tell. Even though it was dark outside, you could just, I mean, if you, when you're a BTS fan, you could, you could just recognize yeah. the way they walk, even in the dark, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, that's Jimin. Right? And thousands of people saw him all at once. Nobody had to tell you it was him. And so everybody lost it. He, tur- he turned around and waved. And that was oh on our gosh. side of the stage, which was really cool. PD, PD Bong, so too. You could recognize him going up the stairs. And that, that was just really <laughs> fun. So the, everybody was so hyped up. As you saw, the, the whole set was just so tight. And he just owned that stage. And I think one of the things that was the most remarkable about it to me was not even all the things we've already talked about in this episode about how well constructed it was and how he, his attention to detail and how everything was so perfectly laid out and the sets were so beautiful and everything was so gorgeous and, um, and went, uh, just went off without a hitch. But for me, I think the most remarkable thing in addition to that was how cathartic it seemed for him. Um, he just was, I mean, we all know now from his discussions with Jimin after the show about how exhausted he was and what a dark place he was in, that he was that exhausted and not sleeping and not eating well. And yet he came up and basically, I'm speaking figuratively, but he just left blood on the stage. You know what I mean? Like he left everything he had on that stage and he just, his movements and his vocals, there's that, when he was singing Arson, there was that one part where he says, it's in the lyrics. He says, fuck off basically to everything that's been holding him back. And on stage, you, and you can see it in the video, of course, and hear it, but it it was visceral. He screamed it. (laughs) He screamed it. And it was just like, he was having this, he must've been having some kind of catharsis. I can only imagine because (laughs) it was so powerful. And that's, I think one of the reasons why live music is still so important is that there is that exchange of energy. We talked about that when we had our previous episode where we talked about going Mm -hmm. to Las Vegas and how um, there really is an energetic thing going on with you and the artist. And that was true here too. Um, I'm sure everyone has seen the little clips where we were singing back the lyrics of various songs to him and he's at one point gets kind of gets that astonished look on his face like like he has in some previous performances just at how much I mean you couldn't really hear it in the record in the recorded video as much when you were there everybody was screaming the lyrics that they knew at the top of their lungs in unison and it was loud so he was definitely hearing it I'm sure and I'm glad that it affected him and that he felt that from us so that was I think the most magical part about being there even though he was just a little figure from where I was standing, you know, on the stage, I could, I could see him, you know, um, but mostly he was looking at the screens, but boy, that exchange of energy that he was getting from us and he was giving to us was really just so powerful. I can't even describe it. So I think that was the most, the best, most important part about being there in person. And some BTS history. Cause that's his solo debut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, that. That was the moment. It was his- historical, not just for BTS even, but for, for Korean artists in general. So yeah, it was really something else. And uh, the crowd was just so into it. So I just I really hope that he felt that and knew that, that people had turned out for him. And of course, we saw um, in the media afterwards on Twitter, the Twitter 
posts were making it around the the rounds in army uh showing uh, others you know non-army who had come to see the show and had been so impressed by that and that was really great to see so i'm, I'm hoping that he's just basking in all of that because he accomplished something really incredible so yeah it was really quite an experience um it was very uh cathartic i think for everyone <laughs> there was a I tried to look it up before we started recording today, but I've lost the information now. But there were some commentators in Korea this week who were talking about J-Hope's show at Lollapalooza and his solo album. And one of the things they said was, wow, and I'm not probably not remembering very accurately, so please just take this with a grain of salt, but it was something to the effect of it must be really uh, incredible for his fans to see what he did because it just shows you how much of his creative energy and voice has been, he has had to hold back to be a part of a group, which is understandable, right? But at the same time, there was all so much going on there all those years that had to be held back or was held back that we are now just getting to see. And it just makes you think about no wall, no wonder it was so cathartic. You know what I mean? No wonder it was so powerful and he had so much to get out there. And just like a couple of other questions I have just kind of like nuts and bolts on how the show went. Um, What was the moment like when Becky G came out to do the collab with chicken noodle soup, which was the big song from hope world. And she was kind of like a surprise special guest. She was a surprise. Because she kind of played a trick on ARMY too, right? She kind of hinted. She was asked by someone, would you show up to do Chicken Noodle Soup live in Chicago? And she said, if I was invited, I would do it. <laughs> or something to that effect. And so everybody lost it. But, you know, people didn't know whether that was something we could really hope for. And then um, the dance company that BTS works with and the lab ended up being the dance company that J-Hope worked with and who came to perform at the concert. And they had dropped a hint about it too, uh, something on their Instagram uh, just a, uh, some days before the concert. So it ended up being reality. And boy, were we shocked, you know. When she came out on that stage, everybody just lost it. And I think everybody knew what a moment that was. They had never mm-hmm. performed that song live together. Which is amazing. It's amazing. And I mean, it was such a, a big production. The music video was so successful. The song was so much fun. And it was so meaningful to both of them that they never got to perform that live. It was really quite something. And also, um, I mean, when you think about it, Almost every song, except for Dynamite, for example, but even that was new choreography. He had never had the chance to perform live mm-hmm. before. Very few, only a few, like Just Dance and, and Ego, that were part of actual BTS albums, were, had he ever been able to perform before. He got songs from Hope World with choreography to get his choreography was really amazing. I mean, that he had creative control over that because uh, that was something I was really looking forward to and wasn't sure that we would get because he had talked about, uh, you know, this this work being more focused on the music than on the dance, whereas with some of his earlier solo work like Chicken Noodle Soup, it was more about expressing himself with the dance. Um, so I wasn't sure whether we were getting choreography. And in fact, the first part of the show was more, you know, he was expressing himself, he was dancing, but it wasn't like rehearsed choreography mm-hmm. necessarily that I know of. Yeah, because that was the other thing I think I expected was since he is like the dance captain of BTS, I was kind of expecting that, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a disappointment to not have it because, again, he was just more 
in this like visceral feeling state that just made it so much even more compelling than if he had come out and had like, this perfectly rehearsed. Right. I mean, cause I think his, he could just let his body express everything that he was feeling. It was really something this, but then later to get some of that choreography was really fun too. You know, the, the, the fresh choreography for dynamite. And then of course, for some of his previous solo work, like hope world, uh, that was incredible. So I think too, just because it was, it's awesome. And I want to hear more of Tanya's experience of, being at Hobie Palooza and seeing the show live, but for the rest of us, we are wa- at home watching it with varying degrees of success. You know, I know there were quite a few people that were watching it on Weverse where it just kind of kicked them out or it was like lagging. And so Tanya, you did mention the whole concert is for free on YouTube. So I'm- get on YouTube and watch the whole show because you will not be sorry. No, it's amazing. Allison, Megan, how did it feel for the two of you watching it? Because I know I was losing my shit watching it. (laughs) (laughs) That is an accurate description. (laughs) Yeah. Two things struck me the most. And the first one was, I'm so proud of him. That sounds so dumb. But I I watched it on Hulu because I have Hulu because I have every streaming site imaginable. um, Except for Drama Cool for some reason. But anyway. I wanted, I was, was watching it and I saw him and I was like, OMG, this is like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for him. I'm so excited for what he's doing. I'm so excited for this music. And I just had this like overwhelming sense of pride that he was able to take this from concept all the way to concert. And it was exciting. Um, and I didn't know what to expect, which is the best part about a concert, even if you have to watch it from home with COVID, which I had. <laughs> but the second part of it is... I was so proud of ARMY, you guys, and I know that sounds hokey as well, but this was the first time that a South Korean artist was headlining a main stage like that, and the fact that I'm watching it and Hulu pans the crowd, and there's just ARMY bombs everywhere, and there's purple, and there's banners, and there's signs, and there's just people cheering losing their ever-loving minds which i I was also at home quietly though because i had a sore throat but but i was losing my mind as well and it was just this overwhelming sense of pride i enjoyed the entire concert i thought it was fantastic the visuals were amazing he looked otherworldly that hair i don't even know why that hair works that hair should not work on anybody in the world but for whatever reason it works but then also the all black Like, we're used to seeing him in the flashiest clothes imaginable, and he's just in all black. It's all, like, deconstructed. I loved it. I thought it fit the theme very well. And then when he came out to do his other solo work and some BTS work, he was in all white. And I thought that was also such a creative choice, um, the light and the dark. And I will say what I did love, and people will say it's fan service, and I get that. There's always a little bit of fan service. But the... BTS content that he provided was fresh content. There was choreography that we had never seen before. They remixed the music a little bit different than we're used to. And I just thought that was such a great way to like say thank you to his fans were there that were there. And so that's what sticks out for me the most. The two things was just the amount of pride that I had for the artists. Like I was so proud of the artists, number one, like so proud of J-Hope. But then the second was, I was so proud of ARMY. I was so happy that Tanya was there. I was so excited for you, Tanya. Like I kept telling people, oh my gosh, my friend Tanya gets to go in this. And I'm so excited for her because it's going to be amazing. But 
I'm so glad that so many fans, so many ARMY showed up. And I don't think that everyone was a Hobie bias by any means, but I think that they all understood the assignment and understood how important this was, not just to J-Hope, but also how important it was to BTS and how important it was for their music. And again, proving that they are artists and they're amazing artists. It, just to interject a couple quick things, you're so right that it wasn't just Hobie biases, Eric, and you can always tell from BT21. <laughs> you can just look at what BT21 people are wearing on their bags or on their clothes, and you can tell, right? I mean, everybody was there representing. It was really great. Uh, and also a quick mention about the wardrobe. Yeah, he, he said in some of the interviews that he's been doing since the show that that was a very conscious choice to keep the wardrobe simple so that people could focus on the content. And we did. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> I did. I definitely did. But I will say that, like, you know, like the Hobie core aesthetic you know, is what people talk about, which is like, you know, he's got like a kid core concept, which kind of like relies a lot on kind of like that, like 90s flavor. And there's often like lots of nail art and bucket hats and bright primary colors. And like, that's all cute. And I like his fashion. I think it's fun. I think it's he's, you know, a fashion icon. But when he came out, and the bucket hat was off, the mullet was on, and it was all black. It was a thirsty first time. <laughs> yes, it, it was. was. And it was for me. And I don't normally objectify Hobie <laughs> because he feels right. too pure <laughs> to be objectified. And I was like, look, if you're leaning in, I'm leaning in too. <laughs> and so I enjoyed it because he became the sexy man. And I just thought, you know what? Like, he, I mean, of course he is. And look at him dance. I just like that he could be a very sensual man unapologetically without kind of this other stuff going on. Like it just kind of was like a pared down and it really truly worked. Mm -hmm. I just spent the whole time flipping out like with daddy vibes. <laughs> yeah. I think it was very purposeful. He wanted to present as a man and not as a, a kid or an idol even like I felt like it and having a live band was a really interesting choice. Like I thought having the live music there was an interesting, but yeah, I mean, given that he was born, like you said, like I went to my first Lollapalooza the year he was born. <laughs> like, I am sorry. <laughs> but at the same time, like, Sad, but he, was a lot, he was a lot to take in. Like the minute he jumped out, I was like, my ovaries are exploding. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> no, no, it was very sensual performance and very adult. And, you know, he, he swore and he just was very sensual and just vibrated that way a lot. And it was a great uh, way to, to come out and say, I'm older now. I'm a man. I'm, you know, I am my own person. I'm not just the boy next door. I also have these other qualities. One more thing to build on what Megan said about uh, their, his performance of Dynamite and that decision to include that song from BTS and also how ARMY showed up. Uh, one thing that really struck me at the time was how really part of his plan, I, it seems, because he planned every single thing out, was that he came out and he wasn't really singing Dynamite. We were. You know, he was doing the choreography and he, we, it was a full-on participatory experience and he... I I thought to myself, wow, that required a lot of trust of ARMY to know that that if he was going to come out there and that was his plan not to sing very much of it, 
and to have the crowd do it, if, if, if army hadn't shown up and if people didn't know the words, you know, that could have fallen flat. Um, but he trusted the audience and the audience came through and it was a really neat thing. Yeah. If I remember correctly, he only sang his parts. Everything else was just the crowd. Mm -hmm. Right. It was the crowd. Yeah. Every single word. I mean, I can tell you every one of us, uh, everybody around me, we were all shouting the words at the top of our lungs, all in sync, every single word. Nobody missed a beat. And that was true really for all of his songs, even for the songs where most of us only knew the English parts or a few of the Korean words. Every little word that you knew, you shouted. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was so palpable. Yeah, that was my hope, like watching, because, you know, I was watching on Hulu and I had my army bomb and we were texting with Megan and Leah throughout. We were all just like minds blown. We got in the group chat and we're like, what is happening? Who is this? This is, this is not J-Hope. And then, of course, gushing about the hair because that was just, that was incredible. Um, but my only hope for the performance was that he would feel the love that we have for him. And I think that he did. They played messages from the audience before he went on, Kulu did. And they were just like so kind and were like, we're so excited for you. We love this direction you're going. And like just beautiful messages from ARMY. I really hope he got to hear them. And then you could just see on the stage when our love was reflected back to him. He felt that. And that was all I wanted for him for that performance. <laughs> so that was great. Yeah. I don't think he could have given that kind of energy if he wasn't getting energy too. Yeah. Cause he really left it all out on the floor. Um, I think one of the cool things to come out, I got a lot of content from TikTok watching after like for reactions and things. And some, it ended up on my For You page probably because of the hashtags that were used, but it was two men that went to see Kid Leroy and they stayed because the crowd was getting thick and they were like, we want to know what this is about. And so they stayed and that his whole TikTok was about these ladies were so cool. They told us everything we needed to know about J-Hope. They let us use their bubble sticks. They called them bubble light sticks. Like they let us use his bub their bubble light sticks. And he brought it, guys. Like, he was incredible. Like, it was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. So I think that also is something to note as far as 
army is concerned because they weren't letting people just walk away either. They're like, no, dudes, you got to stay and like, what's <laughs> happening. So there has been multiple stories like that on my For You page and also from content creators that do BTS content on TikTok that have said this was really fun not just because we were around army but because of the people that actually stayed to check him out thinking oh we'll stay for one or two songs and then ended up staying for the entire set and then walked out with us and we're like what what happened who what how now what do i do now what do i listen to what should i search you know so i think that's really cool into the credit of his fans that they any opportunity to talk about bts you will and so i just think that's really cool just as we saw in las vegas that every taxi driver knew everything about BTS by the end of the that two week period. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, part of the experience that's fun with BTS and certainly Kobe's historic solo debut is no different is you get the album, you get to see the performance in some facet, which is amazing. And then you get this personality dopamine hit because they'll do like in this case, they do like a live, and they come in and they like talk to their fans directly. And it just feels like it's part of that like parasocial connection that you get to have with the group. And I think what made this also special when the live came on was the fact that we were all really stoked when we saw again on Instagram that uh, Jimin was going to fly out. Like when we saw him go to the airport, it was like, oh gosh, is he coming? Is he coming? And then it was like this whole thing. And then we we're like, Tanya, Tanya found out she was going to be landing 40 minutes before the Korean <laughs> air flight was coming in. And it was like, look, again, like, you know, you see them do the airport gauntlet when they're at the airport. And like, I have varying feelings, but I mean, again, it'd be fun to be like respectfully watching. I don't condone the people who are crowding or touching or needing to get a piece, but to like observe from like a respectful distance, if you're going to be there. Yeah. And so, you know, Tanya, (laughs) you want to talk about, you did kind of go and see. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. That was my thought too. Like if we can watch from a respectful distance, that would be really neat just to see him in person and, uh, and cheer for him and everything. Because it was so beautiful what he did to come out to support his his brother like that. So yeah, my flight landed on time. So I hoofed it over to the international terminal. And I thought, at first I thought, oh, am I the only one here? Am I that crazy person? <laughs> and then actually, no, I immediately, like, you know how it is when you go somewhere and you see, oh, there's army right there. They're there. They've got their BT-21 and people are wearing purple and they just look like really, really nice, really excited people. <laughs> so they were there. I feel like that's when you know, like, that's when you know it's gone off the rails when you're like, my flight landed on time and I've existed yeah. 20 minutes to get to the international terminal, which I love for you. Like, I love it. I thought it was exactly. the best thing ever. Totally. I was like... And I would have done it too. Just like hands down, of course, I would have done it. Yeah, I was like, I'm there. Why not? You know, I would have done it. Yep. <laughs> same. All honestly, same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was actually great because I got to talk to other fans right away and get into the spirit of the weekend. So long story short, he went out some VIP exit that they have for security reasons at O'Hare, which Leah had warned me that was probably going to happen. So we didn't get to see him, but we had a great time talking to each other. And uh, the security guards were so amused with us that they were playing jokes on us. And in a sweet way, you know, it's really actually very funny. <laughs> they kept opening the doors and jumping out. <laughs> so then we would all scream. Oh, that is it cute. Was, it was it But was yeah, I feel like, like when that, you're yeah. at the doing the airport walk there and back in Korea, it is interesting. It's like part of the like expectation yeah. and experience that they have to do this gauntlet 
But yeah, when you come to the US, I think it's different. And I don't know if it's just because, again, like with our culture of gun violence and things, it's just like a precautionary safety thing. So I was like, you know, 99.9% sure that, you know, they're going to keep yeah. him safe. And I'm glad they did. I'm glad they However, did. However, I was like on the off chance, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we were talking about it afterwards, uh, after the guards told us that he had left already and it was time to go home. We we were all a little sad, but then we were talking about it and saying the same thing, like, oh, you know, with with everything that's happened in the past, uh, some threats that he's gotten and stuff like that, It's uh, we were glad that he played it safe. But I will say that when the V Live came on, first, it was just such like a delight to see. I mean, it was just, it was kind of surreal to me too, because I don't know how it felt for the rest of you, but I felt like, you know, we were seeing this like J personality on stage <laughs> a bit. And I mean, of course, it's like J Hope, and it's the duality, and it's the fact that we're all like multi layered human beings. But it really was such like a signature departure. And then the V Live came on, and we have giggly, obviously thrilled yeah. J Hope back. And it was like, oh, look at it. And I was like, so endeared. And then when he, it took a minute before he brought Jimin on, and he buried his head in like the bosom of Jimin. And it made I me know. so happy. It's so beautiful. I mean, who's ever not going to take that chance, though? Honestly, like, <laughs> who's not going to take that chance? Right. Because I would definitely, you're going to sit next to me. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, like I said, there's for us as fans, there's probably a duality too, because sometimes there is like thirst element for sure. You know, you're not going to show up on stage at Lollapalooza with that mullet and like not ask for me to have a little, be a little part. Yeah. We'd be lying if we didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like it's a lot deeper and more than that too. So I feel like, again, like sometimes like as much as the group can be diminished or made reductive, that can happen to us as fans as well. So people will be like, oh, you just like them because they're cute young men or whatever. And it's not really that at all. And one of the things that I think that is so special with them is the fact that they do have these very authentic connections with each other. And so again, seeing that just come to fruition on the V Live and then later having like scenes where it was very clear how much Jimin was interacting with Hobie on the stage and he was getting that energetic support from one of his members up in the box and just clearly vibing on the set, like how good that must have made him feel and how proud he must have felt to get to do that. I feel like that was part of the fan experience, but it's also part of this human experience as well of just seeing like good people and creative people and talented people just being really good at what they're doing and also just coming together in this like shared friendship and humanity. And I, it's just such a nice thing at a time that always just, you know, we live in a time that often feels so toxic mm -hmm. or so polarized. And so there's these moments where it does just feel healing to watch these two Korean men just be buds and one to be super proud of the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just to really love each other and show so much affection. And uh, yeah, and I think J-Hope too was a, a really good role model for talking about your fears, you know, because he was so open about how scared he was even leading up mm -hmm. to the show. And he talked about it again in the V Live, how, you know, he was in a literally a dark place, they said. I'm sure you all heard. Jimin said he walked in and it was like the curtains were pulled right. and he's sitting in the dark. I mean, he must have been shitting himself. Yeah. He had to be nervous for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And Jimin came in and, and, and J-Hope said that the light came back, you know, and so that that love that they have for each other is really a lot of what makes them so special. One thing I wanted to add to that I think is really 
interesting. And I don't think that I really thought it all the way through when I was watching the V Live, because of course, with V Lives, we're just excited for the content. We can't wait to get the subs. Like, we want to know everything about it. But I have to say, like, when you think about it from J Ho's perspective and being in BTS for nine years, he's always gone to performances, he's always gone to perform with his group. They've always gone as a group. So for him to go alone, just with his probably very small entourage of people who's surrounding him, that had to be not just pressure, but lonely. Um, and that, I think that is very impactful that, oh, we can say what we want about Jim and going, but I think that's the, the impact of him going and being able to go and say, I'm here, I'm here to support you, not just as my friend and not just as my fellow group mate, but our bond. And I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you do what you need to do. And I'm here to help you, you know, also come down from that high as well. You know, they're sitting on the couch together. He's telling them, okay, I set the timer because you're going to bed. I mean, you need to eat and first I, and then go to bed. Yeah, he need to eat first. Um, but also I think, and as I've watched more content, you know, because we're getting content every day and we've talked in the group chat too about there's this, um, when J-Hope went for the record release party and Jin is there and Jin is saying, how do I talk to celebrities? Help me talk to celebrities. And I think what we, I mean, maybe not we as a collective group, but maybe what I have forgotten or I didn't realize is that these men, um, cause they are grown men now, these men have traveled and gone to appearances and gone to important things together for years as a cohesive group with one member, um, you know, Namjoon, RM specifically, being the leader of that group and talking for them, really, like making those introductions and making, you know, is everybody okay? And this is like the first time that they are going to things on their own. Um, so there has to be a level of nervousness and anxiety. And so I think that, you know, yeah, the media I'm getting or the clips that I'm getting are like, oh my gosh, it's so cute that Jimin's there. And oh my gosh, it's so great that he was there and they were together and he pulled him out of his dark place. But like, also he was there to tell him probably like, you're good enough. This is like, you're doing it. We're doing this. You're doing this and you're nervous. That's great that you're nervous, but also you're going to kill it. You're going to go out there and you're going to do the best job that we both know you can do. And so I think it's really important as fans to remember too, that every time they are putting out their solo content every time they're doing something on their own they're truly doing this on their own and that cocoon that they've been held in for so long like that support that closeness support that they've been getting they're not really getting that the same way anymore i mean they're getting it you know oh i got a text or oh i got a phone call but they're not going to those things together they're not you know like we see oh they look they're holding hands or oh they have their arms around each other it was just him it was just j-hope on his own until Jimin got there and then showed that support. So to me, that was really impactful to thinking about that and thinking like, oh, good, he did not have to do this on his own because it's truly on his own. Yeah. And another thing that floored me about it was that he came because he was needed. You know, it became clearer as time went on that it hadn't been pre-planned that he would go to that. Like he may have had some work to do in LA the following week, as we saw, but him showing up for Hobie at the concert was something that he did because he was needed. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah, I think so too. And I thought that, again, the vulnerability of like J-Hope admitting that like, you know, he kind of had, the nerves had really gotten to him. And then Jimin being really vulnerable, being, like, she like grabbed him playfully, but it was authentic too. And shaking him like, you were, why were you so good? <laughs> and then he's like, 
yeah, now like I'm gonna have to like do this in Alaska. Now you set the bar too high. <laughs> basically, he's like, yeah, when I do my show, I'm doing it in Alaska. <laughs> and you better show yeah, up <laughs> alone by myself. <laughs> that was great. When he said when he said that, I was just picturing all these people wearing heavy parkas going out with their light sticks. They're just like, okay, we're ready. Jimin's coming. <laughs> yeah, right? I was like, I mean, clearly, I'm gonna northern exposure it on an island. <laughs> And that was such a relatable thing because that's how I felt watching it. I was just thinking, I write too. And so sometimes you'll see somebody just do something so amazing. And then you're like, it's really motivating and it's really daunting. And I think, you know, sometimes you could get into like a bad place that it could be jealousy or whatever. But I mean, a lot of times I think like if you're in like a good place, it's just more that like sense of half laughing and half, oh shit, I've got to go back and like really think about what I'm doing. You have to go back in the studio. <laughs> you have to go back in the studio immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go back in the studio and that idea of just, but yeah, him shaking him like, why were you so good? It was just, I really felt like that was such a relatable feeling. So what are some last thoughts everyone would like to get off their chest about this Hobie Palooza historic moment for Young Ho Suk. I think that my final thoughts are like, wow, we're in for a ride for all of them. Seeing Hobie come out and doing everything that he was able to do in this and do it so well, like they've been together, they've worked together, they've collaborated. Like we were just talking about, like, they're going to push each other to continue to do better and to continue to try new things. And so we're only seeing a little bit now and it's just going to keep coming. And so I'm ready for it. I think maybe. <laughs> I have a lot of stress on if I should be buying Coachella tickets <laughs> <laughs> right? because I'm like, my prediction is it's going to be Hobie or it's going to be one of them. So I just really strongly feel like someone is going to be in Coachella, but I don't know. I don't know. It's very stressful. <laughs> I think big music festivals like would have to be absolutely out of their mind if they didn't have somebody from the K-pop industry come in. And Blackpink did Coachella. Yeah, we've mm -hmm. seen Blackpink do it and Epic High has been there, but I just feel yeah. like this is the time. Because the other thing too that like I think really struck me with why Lollapalooza is kind of like that perfect venue because then it was is he going to go on tour da, da 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 and then I was like the challenge is also is that as much as he has so much content he doesn't have that much solo content I mean I, look I would pay for like 20 minutes but I'm just saying that like you know he doesn't have as much content under his belt he doesn't have albums and albums and so that hour-long set yeah. is so tight and so perfect that I think that like that's a really good set for him now to have under his belt to take places and and some of them aren't even going to have that, right? Okay. We've got Suga with his August D content coming. I mean, he could like he could probably just like sit and do stuff forever. But some of them do not. Like Jimin doesn't have enough under his belt to like really come out with like a two hour show or something. So the festival circuit does seem like it could be a place and a place for them to begin to get more comfortable doing things alone. So I'm just curious on how that's going to look or if they're going to like band together and have two folk or if they're going to go with like TXT and like headline something or another hype, another hype group. So it's really, I just am so curious how they're going to treat live performances in this time of solo work. Yeah, me too. I wonder what, it, what else we'll see. Uh, and uh, boy, the music industry has to be paying attention to what a huge success 
uh, Sunday was at Lollapalooza because apparently that's one of their usually their less well attended days, and it broke records. Yeah, yeah. So they've got to be got to be interested. (laughs) People just dismiss Mm. people dismiss the power of army. Even yeah, and it always makes me surprised now because don't they look at the numbers and see just like they're going to come? And the other thing I have a question about just as a side note is this free concert that's going to be happening in Mm -hmm. Busan in October, a hundred thousand free tickets. Logistically, I have so many questions. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big question on TikTok right now, because there are a lot of creators that are saying I'm going, Um, I'm going to that. I'm going to do everything in my power to go. And they are people that live stateside. They live here in the United States um, and they are trying to figure that out. So it'll be interesting, I think. Yeah, I'm so tempted, but there's no, yeah, I don't have that ability. I'm, and I don't know that it's just the ability, but it's, you know, like we saw right after Festa, mm-hmm. they did the music shows. There were a whole bunch, yeah. But, you know, they were free. Those tickets were free. And ARMY got to go to those. Um, and so was there, like, how did that work? I don't under, you know, without the knowledge of that, I don't know how any of that works. But I agree, like, it'll be really interesting for that free concert but as you know, going forward, I think it'll be really interesting for Coachella, for things like Coachella. I think if anyone goes to Coachella, it's Sugar, to be honest, because he has previous solo work. And so if he comes out with more solo work, I, I feel like he has enough, enough to do a set, even if it's a small set. I feel like he's like a Friday, maybe a Friday set for that. See, I was predicting a J-Hope comeback for Coachella. That's kind of what I've been thinking. I've never been to Coachella, but from what I understand about Coachella, they put the I wouldn't say smaller because by no means is it going to be smaller they need to prepare now if they're going to have any of them go but usually the lesser known artists are like Friday early Saturday and then that's where they get the big dollar you know like the big well-known names are later in the festival but I'm not an expert on that so I don't know I just know that every solo project is going to be a wild ride Um, the content is going to be overwhelming but I'm excited about it. And I'm excited to see what every single member does, because I feel like if this is what the other side of J-Hope looks like, what does the other side of these other artists look like? And I'm one of the things I will say, one of the things I'm really hoping is that we get like a soft jazz from Kim Young. Give me that smoky jazz bar sound yeah. um, where he's dancing, if that's truly what he wants to do. But I just feel like he's an old soul. And so... Wouldn't be surprised if that's what we get. (laughs) Me neither. I could totally see that happening. Well, I think that this has been super fun. Uh, Tonya, do you have anything else to kind of say about your bay? One thing I found really interesting about the symbolism uh, around the album and its design and the the whole jack-in-the-box idea that J-Hope has been nursing for such a long time, uh, as we can see even from the art that he did when he released Blue Side. This has been a concept he's been working on for a long time. And the way he's described it is that, you know, Jack in the Box surprises you, right? Pops out of the box and surprises you. Uh, and that he was hoping to show us more sides of himself and to surprise us with what he was able to do, which he definitely did. So goal achieved. But there was one other thing that I thought was interesting about it, which is that uh, in the Moore video and the, in the Jack in the Box itself, there's kind of a court jester type of uh iconography or symbolism going on and one thing that I thought was interesting about that and maybe he wasn't fully intending this was that a if thinking back I didn't have a chance to research this or anything but I've always heard that a court jester was kind of a their role in the court was to use humor 
to critique power, right? To speak truth to power in a way that was a little more palatable and maybe hopefully a little safer way to do it. And so I almost wondered whether, you know, he, in, in his songs, in Moore, for example, uh, where that symbolism is the strongest in the music video, he is, uh, critici- you could read the lyrics as criticizing the music industry or saying, you know, you know, I give feedback and I get right back. Oh, I, I appreciate it, you know. Uh, and then just kind of talking about how maybe about how constrained he was. Um, and so this is a way of him using that symbolism to speak truth to power in that way. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think, yeah, even the video does show a lot of critique about kind of society in general. Mm -hmm. And so not only the music industry, but like the video kind of just shows kind of like that, that idea of like the confinements, like so many people are just in so many different kinds of boxes, right? Yeah. Is it the office box or, you know, society's box or what? In general, um, get ready for your biases <laughs> solo debut because it's going to be a wild ride. Take some time off from work. <laughs> Pace yourself because you're not, you're not going to be able to keep up. Uh, do whatever you need to do to stay sane because it is a lot. Uh, and second, if you do have a chance to see any of them perform live. I talked to some people at the show who were nervous about going on their own, uh, going to a concert by themselves or traveling by themselves. And in fact, I think that that's part of how my group got together. Don't hesitate to reach out to other army. That's how the four of us became friends. Um, and there's even a group I've heard. I don't know any really anything about it called No Army Left Behind. I don't know if they're on Facebook or where they are, maybe. But anyway, they meet up. Uh, for solo travelers so that you don't have to be alone at events. So do consider going if you can, if you get a chance. It's a once in a lifetime kind of chance, really. You won't regret it. No, no regrets. No regrets. Yeah. Yeah. You won't regret it. As we wrap up, if you've been listening, you know, we really appreciate it. And to stay tuned, we will start to be releasing afternoon army content that is on its own platform and we'll be backed up with its own social media. We're going to be kind of in a period of um, like flux as we kind of like adjust. And Afternoon of July is still 100% going on. It's our K-drama podcast that I'm in with AJ Pine and Megan Erickson. And we put out a pod every Wednesday. And so this was just like a way to kind of expand and to recognize that a lot of fans of BTS do watch a lot of K-drama. And a lot of people who got sucked into K-drama like myself kind of made this pivot into this whole other thing of living this army life, which look three years ago, this was just not on my bingo card. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no so one's true. bingo card. No one's bingo card. <laughs> and, nope. And I now have a house with BTS per candles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I thought my fangirling days were over, but boy, was I wrong. I'm back to, I've got a, posters on the wall and the whole thing (laughs) yeah so stay tuned and we will be like signaling kind of like what our posting schedule is going to look like how everything is going to come together for the um this fun pod initiative that we're doing but really we just wanted to come in while the iron was still like you know burning with its arson energy from the Jack in the Box release and Hobie Palooza. And there's going to be more from us coming soon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. So we're going to close out and thanks for listening. And there'll be uh, a lot more content coming from us soon. So stay tuned. Boring. Boring.